Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for this opportunity to speak with you. I wanted to talk to you today, not just about my professional experience, but also my personal experience. Many of you may know uh, my story when I was 13. Uh, I had a mother who was in the hospital and uh, was dying alone because she was in the ICU with a very few visitors allowed. At the same time, it was 13, you had to be 14. And um, it was also a time of um, uh, a lot of unrest that was going on in the world at that time, much like today. Uh, across the street where I was, there was a shooting that happened, uh, a mass shooting, one of the first mass shootings in the US. So at a young age, I often say, you know, this isn't a profession that um, we sometimes choose, sometimes it chooses us. And in a strange way, I tried to become maybe the person that could have helped me. I was honored to write uh, The Needs of the Dying um, on hospice and palliative care work. And uh, I was also so fortunate to get to know Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, the legendary Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. And we were able to do two books together. And I was so honored that she had asked me to participate in her uh, writing of the book um, on grief and grieving, where the stages that she had written uh, so amazingly about dying were gonna be formally adapted to grief. So I was uh, just thrilled to have a small part in doing that. I always like to tell people up front that um, uh, she was so amazing, a trailblazer, a very organic person. And we put on page one that these stages were not, um, uh, they were not uh, linear, you don't have to follow them, they're overlapping, they're not a map of grief. And yet, of course, so many people have misinterpreted that, and a lot of people who have really misinterpreted them had never even read page one. So it's interesting to sort of hear people talk about that, and uh, I think even today on social media, you know, people will go, you and Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, are just trying to neaten up and make us follow your rules. And Elizabeth became the person she is because she was such an amazing rule breaker that she really changed the way we see death and dying and grief in this country. So uh, I, I always say to those people that, you know, as Elizabeth said, it's not about the stages, it's about meeting people where they are. So I was so fortunate to work with her and to you know, have a career of 40 years working with people in grief. And uh, when I worked with people in grief all those years, um, I was so amazed to see their courage, to see their resilience, to see um, their dedication to their loved ones. And then it wasn't until uh, many years later that uh, after working with people for so long, um, I had uh, learned that, um, you know, it's challenging, as I knew from them. It's hard when someone um, dies. And uh, one of the things that happened for me is I saw 
so many people going through loss. And I was so fortunate to have adopted two children, two amazing boys, four and five years old, uh, from the LA County um, foster home system. And I raised them and love really felt like it conquered all, even their past trauma. And one of the things that happened is um, I, I had seen that loss occurs for everyone. And it certainly occurred in my life. And then my kids had grown up and were adults. And I was across the country lecturing. Uh, my son David was dating a wonderful social worker. And I got a call out of the blue that he had died unexpectedly. It was as heartbreaking as you could imagine. Really, not that anyone can imagine, but it was heartbreaking and brutal. And I canceled everything and I was home in this devastating grief. And one of the things I say as a professional, I thought I knew grief. I thought I had been around that pain so much that people deal with. And I wanted to write a note to every parent I'd counseled, every person I counseled, saying, I'm sorry, I have forgotten how bad the pain of grief is. Because being thrown into the epicenter, I was reminded of that. While I was the father who had to bury a son, I also had that grief expert's mind wondering, Everything I had learned and taught all these years, was it going to be true? And of course, my grief, like everyone else's, was unique to me. No two people grieve alike. And while I was in this deep grief, I was just dancing with all the different feelings, all the colors of grief, and the pain, the yearning, the emptiness. I noticed the stages come and go. I noticed when I was in them, when I was out of them. And at a certain point later on, maybe about nine, 10, 11 months, I began to think I'm going to have to accept this. And as I began to think about acceptance, acceptance was not enough for me. Acceptance was not enough. I wanted to find more. I wanted to find meaning. I had thought back on Viktor Frankl's work. I had studied Viktor Frankl's. I had talked to Elizabeth about the other stages that might be out there, hope, meaning. And I knew for me, I wanted to find more. I wanted to find meaning. One of the other things as I thought about that idea of finding meaning. I had noticed how over the years, acceptance seemed to take on a finality that Elizabeth and I never intended to have. Many of you heard me say, whenever anyone says, how long will I um, grieve? I always say, well, how long will the person be dead? Because if they're gonna be dead for a long time, you're gonna grieve for a long time. That doesn't mean that you will grieve forever with pain. Hopefully in time, you will grieve with more love than pain at your own pace in your own way. I had written about meaning and grief 
And one day I was sitting at this very desk and going through some old papers and I found some of my writings on meaning and I picked them up and I went, yeah, like that's going to help with this pain. And then I began reading and it didn't take away the pain, but it gave it a cushion. And I began talking to people who had had a spouse die, a child die, a parent die, a pet die, about how they were finding meaning. And I thought, this is what I need to find. And I began writing about it really for myself. And then at a certain point, uh, it also became something that I thought my healing might be once again as I was going out and teaching again and helping others. So I decided to start a book, Finding Meaning. And it felt like it was the next place for me to go after acceptance. I was so honored. I talked to the Elizabeth Kubler-Ross Family and Foundation, and they gave me permission to add an iconic, to add a new stage to Elizabeth's iconic stages. I caution people, I'm not giving you another mandatory place. You have to go on the timeline of grief. Everyone here knows there is no timeline. And so I came to realize there was this sixth stage, the stage of meaning. And meaning for me, I thought about meaning making is really post-traumatic growth. You know, we hear so much about post-traumatic stress but post-traumatic growth actually occurs more frequently, but yet we don't name it, we don't talk about it. And there's been a few people who have been talking about it, and meaning is really not extraordinary, but ordinary in our lives. It can be your identity has changed, your relationship with others has changed, you have a changed outlook on life because they died, you maybe even found some growth. Meaning can look like a lot of different things. It can be finding gratitude for the time you had with that person. Let me just explain that one because I know people immediately jump to, wait, what do you mean gratitude? How can there be gratitude when someone dies? Well, first of all, early in grief when you're in pain, I don't think about it as gratitude. I think about you have wins. Taking a shower, going to work might just be a win. Those wins later become gratitude. And as I think we move and experience our grief in all its different ways, I know for me in a few years, at a lecture, someone said, what's your gratitude that you have found in the death of your son? So the first thing I caution people around um, meaning is people think I'm asking them to look for meaning in the death. There's no meaning in the death of a child dying. There's no meaning in the death of your husband dying after 40 years or your parent dying. There's no meaning in someone dying of a horrific cancer or death by suicide or death by addiction or COVID-19. Meaning is our response to their death on that horrific moment. Meaning is what we do after. So just know I'm never asking anyone to find meaning in that horrific thing that happened. So when I thought about gratitude around my son, 
I thought about there's only one thing that would have been worse than my son David dying at 21 years old. That would have been him not coming into my life and me not getting to know him. And that helped me find gratitude for just getting to know him this lifetime. It didn't have to be, that wasn't guaranteed. So of course, he will always die too young for me. Of course, I always will want more time with him. But it doesn't mean I don't have gratitude for the opportunity to get to know him. Meaning can also look like finding a way to commemorate and honor a loved one. Another way meaning can come about is we realize the brevity of life. And we don't have forever here. The virus is another um, reminder of how fragile life is. Uh, the brevity of life can be a springboard into making a shift and change in our life. Another way we find meaning is just by being changed by knowing that person. How did that person in your life change you? What's that meaning? Maybe you are changed by the way they died. Maybe they died in a way that shouldn't have happened, and you want to create a world that makes it less likely other people will die that way. Maybe you want to create something of meaning for others. I wrote in Finding Meaning some guidelines so about meaning, so let me just read you those guidelines. I know it's like when an author picks up their own book, it can be scary. Don't worry, it's just going to be for a moment. Here are some thoughts that may guide you in your understanding of meaning. One, meaning is relative and personal. Two, meaning takes time. You may not find it until months or even years after loss. Three, meaning doesn't require understanding. It is not necessary to understand why someone died in order to find meaning. And as many of you have learned, you may never find a satisfying why or understand why they died. And four, even when you do find meaning, it won't feel like it was worth the cost of the person who died. And five, this is a big one. Your loss is not a test, a lesson, something to handle, a gift or a blessing. Loss is what happens in life. Meaning is what you make happen after the loss. Six, only you can find your own meaning. Seven, meaningful connections may replace painful memories in time. So that idea about meaning is so important. And by the way, anyone who has the book or thinking of getting the book, just know I also put together a free companion class that goes with it that you can find at sixstage.com. And you can just put in the code uh, open to hope to get that free class. So I think about this idea of, we always hear about large scale meaning. Someone got a 5K run dedicated or they started a nonprofit organization for their loved one. But one of the things I believe we often don't see is meaning really appears in the small moments. Meaning appears in the small moments. Um, just naming those meaningful moments. This is a meaningful moment I'm having with you. That in this pandemic, when conferences like this have been shut down physically, we're still finding a way to connect. That's meaningful to me. After COVID-19, 
I started a online grief group that so many people here, Gloria and Heidi, have spoken at. We now have close to 20,000 people there who had to shelter in place, lost their grief groups. They weren't able to um, uh, find help for their grief in those early days. Uh, they weren't able to say goodbye. They weren't able to have a funeral. So for them, I set up this grief group. You can find information on that at grief.com. So just know, even in the darkness, there's light. And sometimes finding that light helps us realize not everything is all bad or all good in life. Horrible, my son died. Thankful I got to know him. So nothing is all one thing. And when we begin to see that, it helps us find the different meanings. It's interesting. I was counseling a woman um, who had been at the Las Vegas shooting. And she was at that concert. And when the shooting started and everyone ran, she was close to the stage. So she ran under the stage for shelter. And as I worked with her, I talked to her about Viktor Frankl and the idea of meaning and you know, how in a concentration camp, they found light in the darkness. They appreciated a sunset. And she was like, there's no light that was in this darkness. There was no light that was in that concert when people were getting killed. And I said, can you just be curious and open to maybe there was some light that at some point you'll understand. It doesn't negate the horrificness of that shooting, but could light occur in the darkness? I often talk about, you know, my father used to say, sometimes when we're at our worst, we become our best. So I think about that idea. And as we reviewed the story one day, um, she told me about a man at the concert who was in his wheelchair and like he apparently was there without anyone. And um, when everyone ran, he couldn't get away. And she said, suddenly some guys from under the stage ran and grabbed him out of the wheelchair and put him underneath the stage with her. I said to her, that's the light. That's the light within this darkness that they were able to help him in those moments. So seeing that light, maybe it's just the love your loved one gave to you is the meaning. Sometimes when we don't find meaning, you know, our lives, we feel like we get stuck. And meaning can be such a cushion and such a way out of that stuckness. I think about how do we find the purpose? And so many times, not early on in grief, but in time, you know, people sometimes will see the title Finding Meaning and they're like, I'm not ready to find meaning. And I'll say, oh, the book goes through on how to deal with the pain. You have to deal with the pain. There's no easy way around the pain. There's no spiritual bypass around the pain. You just have to know that is how it works. So when we talk about um, having a hard time grieving, feeling stuck, our lives can be de dedicated to the loss. It can be dedicated to the pain and we lose all purpose and direction. And the reality is I think that, you know, when you're that empty, even a couple of years after loss and looking for a purpose and meaning, we look inside ourselves and we're still so wounded and fragile that sometimes we have to actually look out and see maybe what meaning can be found outside, what's needed and wanted. You know, the reality is 
Um, life doesn't owe us, we owe life. What can we see that's needed around us? You know, witnessing grief, talking about this like today helps. We weren't meant to be islands of grief. Mirroring is so important that we see each other's grief and that we, that's why grievers forever have gathered together because they're so good at witnessing one another's grief. And I think one of the things that we often think about is how can we make grief smaller? The reality is grief isn't getting smaller. We have to get bigger. We have to grow around that. And I think that can be such a challenge for people. And together, I think we can find ways to do it. How can we build something around this horrible loss that we don't forever live in that loss, but we find a way to have life later that honors our loved one. People often ask me, because I wrote the book years ago, Visions, Trips, and Crowded Rooms, who and what you see uh, when you die about the afterlife. And they always want to know, do you think there's life after death for our loved ones? And I'll say, I believe there is. But I have another question. Is there life after death for us? Can we find a life that honors those who have died? Can we become bigger than our grief? Can we mark their lives in a way? Can we be the memory keepers, the storytellers? That's who I think we want to be. So I thank you all so much for this opportunity to be here. And if any of you want to find me or find my work, just know you can find me at grief.com. And once again, so honored to be a part of this important day. I've learned that it helped me to help others, to know I'm not the only one, put one foot in front of the other, find a life. Adding hope to the darkness, you start on the trip to recovery. Reach deep down inside and say, I am going to live on. We laugh, we cry, and remember. Hope without action doesn't work. Hope with action can change the world. We always say, if you've lost hope, please lean on ours.